company, I'm Sky Madsen. You know, the older I get, the more I fall in love with England and its gardens and its landscapes. And today's guest speaks to that and another of my loves, magazines and publishing. Sky O'Neill is an Aussie now living in the UK. And last year, she and a friend started Field Fair Press, a print journal about landscape, gardens, and most of all, place. As you know, I'm forever interested in how these projects blossom from the idea to actually being the real deal. And this publication in particular is really interesting and quite a feat because it's run across three continents, Australia, the UK, and the USA. I was born in the Sutherland Shire and then my parents moved, we moved to Taree on the far north coast when I was a kid. So for about four years, I grew up in Taree and then my parents split up and we moved back to Sydney with mum. We lived uh, with my aunt and uncle actually in the eastern suburbs of Sydney and I yeah spent my childhood there and went to university there and then I came to, to Britain in 2004 uh, once I'd finished studying and thought I might just stay for a few months and then uh, ended up staying much longer (laughs) so I'm pretty much settled here now I think. What did you study at uni? I did a BA in uh, French and linguistics were my majors and then I did a PhD in Celtic studies (laughs) so it's a bit of a bit of a random route to uh, publishing a magazine. Why did did you choose to do those things? I just really, I loved languages actually, and just, I just really liked them. I was really interested in them. I'd studied French at high school and then just continued that at university. And I'd done some Celtic studies subjects as an undergraduate and ended up doing a kind of linguistics type um, PhD. So looking at the renaissance of sort of Irish and Welsh speakers in Ireland and Wales and how that had come about and the sort of politics of language, I guess. That is so amazing. So, to, but what piqued your interest about about those things initially, and what did you hope oh to God. become? Oh God, I don't know. I think looking back, I had literally no idea. I, I, I mean, I loved reading, so I think I ended I ended up going into publishing because basically I loved reading, and I thought, oh wow, there's a job that I can do where I can just read stuff. I worked as a trainee editor for a, a nonfiction publisher in Sydney for a while while I did a, a diploma in editing and publishing at Maclay College, which I don't know if it still exists actually. Oh, um, Maclay, yes. And then when I was when I was doing my PhD, I, I started working part time in legal publishing, so um, just as a sort of side job. Then ended up doing that when I came to London as well. Yeah, it was sort of all a bit random. In London, I kind of managed a list of books on the crime and litigation list. So um, I managed a team of editors and we published about 20 books a year in sort of specialist legal topics. So aimed at practitioners or students, uh, experts, really. So it it was not directly related to anything I had studied. It kind of all just sort of came about organically. And really, I think I was working part time after I had children. And I think you know, I probably stayed longer in that job than was necessary in some ways, because I, th- I think I felt that it was really important to kind of maintain the status quo and, and kind of keep earning money and all that, which it was. Mm. But also, I feel like there's this element where when you go back to work after you've had kids and, and your employer is flexible and you enjoy it and whatever, but you feel like you ought to be grateful almost that 
you know, people are giving you that opportunity. So I feel like that kind of kept me maybe longer there than was necessarily good for me. So, so when the opportunity came to take redundancy in 2019, I took it because I'd been in the job then for about 15 years. You know, my time was, was done, I think, there. Do you miss it? I, I do. I mean, I miss my colleagues a lot. I really enjoyed with the people that I worked with and the team that I worked with. I, you know, I enjoyed the work on, on one level, but also I had been doing it for such a long time that there wasn't a lot of challenge involved anymore in that. And in 2016, I'd gone back to work after my second maternity leave and I'd started um, taking photographs just in my lunch break when I was walking around London, started posting them on Instagram and sort of built up um, an Instagram account that was focused on you know, London architecture and sort of travel within the UK. And that became like quite an important creative outlet. And it was something that I felt had been missing for quite a long time in my life. So that's what kind of led on to this second phase of my career, I guess, which was more sort of photography based. And then that led on to to publishing the magazine. Have you always had a creative streak? You said just then that you you knew that you were missing something creatively. I suppose languages is creative in its own yeah in its own way yeah I mean I think there's this sort of playfulness you have as a child where you you know you do craft and you draw and you do all these things and I'd I'd done art in high school it had just sort of fallen by the wayside I guess as other things came along and, and work and kids and all the rest of it and it was only really when I sort of had a little bit of time again to myself that I started enjoying and I think also sorry the ease of having a, a camera on a smartphone which mm. you know was quite a new development then and it, and I think the, the technology really did aid me in just having something in my pocket that I could pull out and do in, in the moment and I think if it had been a lot more elaborate than that maybe I wouldn't have done it but it was just the ease of it really enabled it. Tell me then about what Instagram sort of did for you in your journey towards this, but in the first instance, um, before you even knew or had even thoughts about publishing your own magazine, what kind of doors did it open up for you creatively and personally and socially, I suppose? I mean, London has quite an active Instagram community, or at least it it did at the time. I think it's quite, it's, it's a bit of a different landscape these days, but when I started posting you know there were quite a lot of people who put you know everyone posted every day and people interacted with one another and you felt like you got to know people you know sort of reasonably well even if it was only online and but there were also quite a few sort of in-person meetups where you would do a photo walk and then you'd all have brunch or you'd you know and there was this kind of community element to it which I think probably isn't really there so much these days or maybe there are just so many more people or so many more accounts that it's harder to get to know people or I don't know but at the time it it felt like quite a sort of nurturing and friendly community that was nice because I I felt like I hadn't sort of met new people for a little while like I'd been in this sort of baby zone and been at home with the kids and whatever and you know met people through baby groups and whatever but it was the first time I'd sort of made a bunch of new friends when I was you know I was about 40 by that stage so it was kind of it felt like a sort of really flourishing environment so and my account in the early days grew quite quickly because I think it was quite easy to grow back in those days you know that there weren't the sort of challenges that there are now with the way the algorithm on Instagram works and there was a real focus on photography rather than video and things which is sort of more the focus these days yeah so my account grew quite quickly and I started being invited to things you know like lunches or brunches or press trips um, overseas or and you know a lot of them I couldn't do because I you know I had little kids and it 
wasn't always easy to get away but then some of them I could do and that was amazing because you could you know stay in nice hotels and be mm. given sort of be behind the scenes access to things I think which was great you'd be taken on a tour of a building which was empty at, you know because it wasn't at the normal sort of tourist hours or whatever and, and you would be given this kind of ability to see things that other people weren't able to see and, and capture that so that was really interesting and and fun you know pushed me to sort of learn more about photography and editing and, and photo editing and, and that kind of thing. I'm assuming you weren't still snapping on your iPhone at that stage or were you? Well it was a bit of a mixture so I mean if I was going to something that I knew I would be taking photos for in a sort of almost professional capacity then I would take a camera as my camera as well but otherwise if it was just if I was just walking out around in London I would mostly just have my phone on me because I wouldn't necessarily be planning planning a photo shoot or anything so it was a real mixture of phone and camera at that stage and, and it still is to be honest I mean it just depends what I have on me at the time and whether I'm intending if there's something that I'm trying to get a photo of or if it's just something I've happened to see when I'm walking along or whatever. Being an Australian in London, tell me about what kept you there and what you loved about it. I think, to be honest, if I hadn't met my now husband, I wouldn't have stayed forever. I don't think I'd have stayed in London sort of without family and, and those kind of ties here. That said, I mean, I've, I've always loved it here and I love the architecture. I love the opportunities to travel. I mean, not the last couple of years, but generally. Mm. And because we've had kids here as well I feel like quite rooted in the local community and have made a lot of friends here and I mean the distance is hard and it was particularly hard during the pandemic because obviously I couldn't come back so that psychologically was very strange you know to be sort of barred from your your home country and my father died in 2020 for example I wasn't able to come back Mm. for the funeral Mm. so things like that were really difficult and I did really feel the distance then underneath it all I knew that that this was where we had sort of built a home and and where we felt the place we were most tied to Mm. so yeah I mean I still I still love it but I do you know I do miss Australia and I do I did come back very briefly in February as soon as they allowed citizens to come back I came back for a week with um, my sister who lives in the states I've got another sister in Canberra and my mum's there as well in in um, New South Wales so we all came back for a week and then I'm about to come back for another month with the kids during their summer holidays here. That would be That's good nice. just to see everyone. Yeah. It would have been yeah. such a huge trip for you. It was a very difficult time. I actually became British during the pandemic, which I'd never bothered to do before <laughs> because I just, I really did feel so kind of cut off from Australia and I don't know, I felt like, yeah, I, I felt that I needed that the security of that, that other passport, which I had never had. I never felt that I'd needed before. And I can understand obviously why that that policy was in place and for those of us who were stuck overseas it was very difficult to to not have the ability to come back at all it was hard yeah Mm. I appreciate your perspective it's yeah very interesting I'm keen to kind of get behind your eyes and what the beauty that you see in England and London and you're obviously a photographer who loves the outdoors and the greenery and the lush and the lightness. Mm. Like what did you notice when you came back to Australia about the beauty here and compared to the beauty in London? I mean, they're very obviously very, very different places. And Australia, I mean, it's so, it is so beautiful there. It's so there's so so much to see and so much variety. I mean, you do you do notice that even now, you know, just driving along the the freeway or whatever, and the trees either side, and it is so lush. And you just, it's 
something that you don't you just don't get it in Australia even to be fair I haven't been to places like Tasmania and maybe maybe it is like that there but it is just something about the light and the, and the green here which is very just very striking coming from a place like Australia where it is so different visually and that where the trees are so different and the the landscape is so different and actually I would love the opportunity to travel more around Australia and try and, and capture some of that and I, I feel like I haven't properly travelled <laughs> around mm. Australia which is ridiculous but yeah. I think because I left in my 20s and I, it's just always yeah. been something that's been on my list to do and I just haven't had the opportunity but one day one day you can do a road trip and exactly and six, month, six month road <laughs> trip yeah yeah but I mean in terms of the architecture I mean it's I suppose in London it's I mean it's the age of the buildings but it's also like the, the regularity of them I suppose and the, the kind of the symmetry and the it's just it's just the feeling that they evoke I suppose if it's something that you're sensitive to or interested in I mean not everyone is but lots of people don't like cities at all um but for me it's I do really I do really still love it and I still sort of wonder at it as I walk around and it still feels novel to me in a way coming from Sydney I love it I love it I often walk around here at home and the trees there's there's lots of trees it's very yeah it's a very natural landscape most of this farm and I think I wonder if like other people would see the same beauty that I see through my you know untrained eyes I think it's all very personal (laughs) yeah you see the beauty and I go through stages too of seeing the beauty like smacks me in the face and I'll drive past the same place and I just don't see it for a couple of months and then it comes back Mm. all of a sudden and I wonder if Mm. that seasons or just you you know don't fill your mind mm. what other you might be thinking about other things or they find it interesting Mm. I mean, there's definitely a point in the year in London where I think I can't bear it anymore. I've got to go home. Like it's sort of January. I get to February every year and I think it's never going to get warm again. It's never going to be green again. I have to go home. (laughs) So February is my my worst month, but then it gets better after that. Having grown up on a farm, I lived in Dorset for a year when I left school and I remember missing the strawy, dry, yellow hues of Australia. There is mm. green everywhere. You don't get a break from it in, mm. in England, in the UK. Mm. There are so many different shades of it, but I, I did find myself missing that. Do you ever? And then what about this from the Sutherland Shire? What about the beach and the sand? I mean, I don't really remember living in that part of Sydney, So, but I do. We did live quite near the harbour when I was a little bit older. And I do miss, I miss the sort of the ease of the lifestyle, the kind of physical ease of it, the kind of reliability of the weather and knowing that you can leave the house and not have to take a jumper. And you just never have that here. There's never that certainty that the weather's not going to change and you're going to kind of need a raincoat or whatever. Seeing my friends in Sydney who have kids and, and it's quite a different lifestyle and it's lovely. It's great for kids to grow up with that freedom. And I, I feel like my kids don't really have that in London. That's, I guess, one of the trade-offs, really. I don't know. There's a lot of amazing aspects to Australia and it's hard to be, you know, so far away often. So tell me about when you first had an inkling that you might start a publication. Well, it was during the pandemic. So it was kind of May of 2021. And my friend Mendy, who um, I met in London, but is now based in New York, upstate New York, we were just messaging and we were saying England was kind of just coming out of the pandemic 
over the summer and then of course it sort of went back in but we were kind of like oh is is that is that it are we all are we all just going back to normal then because I feel like it had been such a kind of hard couple of years for so many people and this notion that we were all just going to go back to exactly how things were before sort of you just couldn't quite believe it and we just started talking about sort of what a noisy place Instagram was in lots of ways you know, kind of scrolling through your feed wasn't the experience that it used to be. You know, you knew that you weren't seeing some posts and maybe you were seeing lots of video. You weren't necessarily seeing the things you wanted to see. We just started talking about how how great it would be if, if, there, if there was a sort of print version, you know, if we could have a kind of something that we could hold in our hands and a tangible sort of slower experience of appreciating these things that we were kind of missing from, I guess, our earlier days on Instagram. We started thinking about what that might look like and how we might do it. And I mean, really, from, from that initial email, which I think was in May, and then we published the first issue in October, it was really actually quite short when I think about it. But maybe that's not a bad thing. I mean, it was it was good to just, I mean, it was exciting and it was stressful, but it was really fun as well. And yeah, we, we, we started an Instagram account for the, for the publication. We put out a call for submissions. We worked out, you know, what the theme would be of the first issue and, and what sort of contributions we, we wanted to make to it. And we, yeah, we put it together and we opened for pre-orders. And even up until that point, we were like, well, we can always pull it at the last minute. And if we don't get enough pre-orders to cover our costs, then we can always just put a stop to it. But we did get enough pre-orders. So that was the sort of first hurdle. And then we published it and we, and we weren't really sure what would happen or what the reception would be. And we, we got a lot of lovely feedback from people, people either who followed us on Instagram or people who had been told about it or had been given it or found it somewhere. Or So then we went ahead and did issue two. And as we published that, we've just signed on with a distributor here in London who has a sort of international network and a, and a UK network of retailers. So we're, the next stage, I guess, is just to, to get it into some more bricks and mortar shops because at the moment, you know, we had a handful of stockers, but uh, we've just updated our website, actually. We've got, you know, a, a load more, which is really encouraging, I guess, to think that it might find a, a wider audience. So not just people who know about us from Instagram, but maybe people who see it in a shop and might pick it up and, and be interested in it. Did you feel like initially the people that purchased the magazine were only people that have heard it, had heard about it on Instagram? I think so, because that was our main way of marketing it, because both Mindy and I had reasonable sized audiences on our own Instagram account so her hers is angry baker mine is just my name Sky O'Neill and between us we thought we would be able to get enough you know pre-orders to sort of cover the costs and the aim was to gradually build up the Instagram account for, for the publication just to sort of have that more specific engaged audience who were interested in in that aspect of what we were doing and that's still the aim. I mean, it's still the primary way we get the word out. We have a newsletter where we kind of we update people on, you know, if we're putting out a call for submissions or opening for pre-orders or that kind of thing. But the primary means we have of communicating with people is through Instagram. What does Mindy do? So she's the creative director. So she's a photographer. She's a photographer by training. So she, that's her main kind of job. And she has three kids. She lives in quite near Hudson in upstate New York. I'm just, I asked that question because it's the melding of, so you obviously were able to tap into your publishing skills and experience exactly. and give yourself mm-hmm. the confidence to actually do it there. Do you think that played a huge part in it getting off the ground? I think so. I mean, I don't, I don't think we could have done it completely blind. I mean, we just wouldn't have had the, the knowledge of how to, how to put a publication together and how to, 
you know, get printing quotes and, and all the rest of it and do the production side of it. And we have a designer who's based in Tasmania, Holly. So uh, Mendy had worked with Holly before on um, a couple of things. And so she she came on board and she did all the initial kind of branding and design and cover design and things and worked out how, you know, the look and feel of it. That's how it came about. I love it. It's truly global. Isn't it amazing it's, that you can do that? It is weird. And I mean, we hadn't, Mendy and I, I mean, she came here in April, I think it was, to, to the UK. So um, as soon as she was able to travel after the pandemic and we, you know, checked the proofs for issue two together. And But it was the first time we'd seen each other in person mm-hmm. for three years. Mm-hmm. So it was, we'd done this whole thing, you know, from basically from our, you know, offices, home offices, you know, mm-hmm. and um, or at our kitchen tables or whatever. And and same with Holly. So we'd had have these calls where it would be kind of, you know, 10 p.m. in Tasmania and 7 a.m. in London and whatever. And we'd have these random times for conference calls. But yeah, I mean, it all, it all seemed to work and you know, it is amazing that you can be in three completely different parts of the world and manage to to put something together and it's been great. So tell me about what you wanted Feel Fair to be about. We wanted it to be about why places matter to us, I guess. what It's not really a travel magazine, although there are travel features in it. It's more about why do we respond to places in the way that we do? What is it that makes us feel that sense of connection? It looks at things like places you can travel to, but also homes and interiors, gardens, even small businesses, things like bakeries or um, craftspeople. So what is it, what is it about places that informs the way that they work and the kinds of things that they produce? So we wanted it to be a kind of about that sense of place and that can be interpreted in different ways and obviously we've done it thematically so the theme of the first issue was belonging we were really looking at why do we feel that sense of connection in certain places what is it that that sort of sparks that in people so it's a mix of kind of photo essays and but also kind of some personal narratives and travel features interiors that kind of thing and how did you decide the locations that there would be no boundaries or I don't, I don't know, how, how did you work that out? I mean, we consider anywhere. <laughs> so yes. it's, I mean, with, with, with the submissions, we're looking at, you know, for things like the photo essays, we were looking at for photos that could convey the, that essence of a place. So they didn't have to necessarily be conventionally beautiful, but they needed to be able to capture what it was that was unique about somewhere. We were looking for that with, with the photo essay submissions and then things like, the personal narratives as well we were kind of looking for a fresh perspective on place and one of the uh, writers who's in issue one Marshall Farrell so she's just won the Nan Shepherd Prize for Nature Writing in Britain so she's having a book published by Canongate I think it is this year or the piece that appears in Field Fair is a sort of early draft of what, what will be one of the chapters in that book. So I feel like, you know, we were, we were really lucky in that we had some really great submissions and some unusual, you know, perspectives on. So her, her piece looks at gardening and the sort of her grandmother's sort of Afro-Caribbean roots and, and why it was that she was always determined to grow primroses in, in her garden. I love and it's her just piece. Ha- I love her piece. Having that, having that, that interesting perspective. Yeah. I mean, I think we, we got some really good submissions and, and that was, it was fantastic to be able to, to bring those to a kind of wider audience or to, to be able to publish them in print and not, and not just have them on Instagram, but to have, you know, have them published in, in a tangible way that people could maybe savor over a, you know, over a cup of coffee or something rather than just like mindlessly scrolling through your phone. And how do you feel it's been received? Are you happy with its distribution? We're really happy that we've, that we're now working with a distributor who can 
sort of bring it to a wider audience because I think that's where our skills kind of are somewhat lacking. So, I mean, I'm all right on the editorial and production side. Mindy's good on the creative side. Together we can put it together, but it's the kind of, it's the distribution piece that we were least experienced at. So that's been quite a learning curve. We're really pleased. I mean, the aim is to make it sustainable. We aren't in a position currently to pay contributors, which is a, a big constraint and something we would like to not have as a constraint. So, I mean, we're really just focused on making it as sustainable as we can so that we can be in a position to do that in the future. So, Did you sell many to Australia? I mean, the fact that I have a copy of it, I just think is, is so wonderful. Well done. It's, it's Thank you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, postage costs are really prohibitive. Mm. Um, <laughs> people who are ordering copies from Australia or Zealand get a raw deal as far as postage costs goes. And I, and I don't know what there is to do about that apart from get some more Australian stockists on board. So hopefully the new distributor will have some, some contacts in Australia who can help with that. But if you're a stockist in Australia, please get in touch. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but we sold, I think our, our main market uh, is the US and the UK. And then there's, I think, about 10% to kind of Australia, New Zealand, Canada, um, and then a, 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 a smaller percentage to sort of non-English speaking parts of Europe and a tiny percentage to some of the Asian countries as well. Mm, amazing. It does have a great feel, like a, it feels like you also really love gardening and and nature and trees and things like that is there a Mm. tone of that Mm. to it as well we wanted it to yeah we didn't want it to be just about cities or we did want to I mean and I think actually that's something that's developed for me over time so when I in terms of the photography side I started off just taking photos of buildings in London and that's gradually expanded and I do find myself in increasingly drawn to natural landscapes and I feel that that's quite a challenge for me because it's not something I'm used to photographing but definitely it was something that we wanted to include I mean Mendy where Mendy lives is quite rural so she's in, in a sort of farm part of farming part of upstate New York so uh, one of the businesses that we featured in issue one was a flower garden that's just near where she lives uh, called Damsel Garden and just the, the images of that I think are really great but we definitely wanted there to be a kind of a green element to it. And how do you think it will grow in itself over over the coming years? Oh God, I don't know. Or how do you want um, it to? <laughs> you know, as I said, we'd like to be able to to grow it enough so that it's sustainable. And I mean, I don't think we want to do more than two issues a year. I think that's probably as much as we can handle with all the other stuff going on in our lives. But it would be nice to think that we might be able to grow the team a little bit to be able to kind of develop I guess the brand a little bit more to be able to put more content online on the website I mean we have a, a kind of journal part of the website but it would be nice to kind of build that up and you know and maybe to work with different destinations to kind of get that sort of inside look at places I think that's something that I'm quite interested in I think that would that would be good but yeah we just we just want to be able to keep doing it I guess and to to reach as many people as we can are you seeking contributions from people? Like how's, what's the best way if people are listening to this thinking, oh, I might like, I might have something, a story that they might be interested in? Yeah. Well, there's a submissions page on our website, which has all the information about the kinds of things that we look for. We normally open a submissions period of about a month. So that will be sort of probably early August time. But we announce that on Instagram and we announce it to our newsletter subscribers so that they know when when they can send through submissions. 
and that can be anything from photo essays to kind of personal narratives that that aren't accompanied by photographs or it can be suggestions for homes that we might want to feature gardens that we might want to feature it could be uh, an interview with with a creative person or a profile of a business it, it's really it's it's relatively open. I mean, we, we try not to be too rigid about what we're asking for because we kind of want to cast the net quite widely and you never know what you're going to get. So we do read through everything. We do send feedback to everyone. And yeah, we just, we try to encourage people to, to send through whatever it is that, that they feel meets the criteria for the theme of that issue. What do you love most about this? It's just such a challenge. It's really different for me. So, I mean, I come from a sort of non-fiction professional book publishing background and then to be able to work on something that's full of images, it's got illustrations, it's Divine. quite a different kind, of, quite a different kind of writing. It's a really nice challenge, I guess. And working with Mendy, I think having a partnership with someone in a creative sense is really good in terms of we each hold the other person accountable, not intentionally, but just because we don't want to let the other person down. I'm not sure it's something I would have had the confidence to do on my own. And I'm not sure I would have had the skill set to do it on my own. So to be able to work with someone who does have those complementary skills and who you get on well with as a person and who is committed in the same way that you are to the project has been a really great way of, of doing something. You're mentioning just about how Instagram has changed over the years, what your sort of take on on it is right now as an avenue to sell and develop flowing do you do you utilize it in that mm. way or are you looking to other avenues to focus on in the future it's our primary way of communicating with people partly because that's where we come from in terms of that's how we know each other that's how that's where our biggest presence online is I don't really use I don't use TikTok I don't use I don't really use Pinterest in a sort of professional capacity I just sometimes look at it if I'm thinking about repainting a wall or something it's really the primary social media that I use and I don't go on Twitter it is the focus but also you know if Instagram were to disappear tomorrow you want to be able to still reach people so we're keen to build our newsletter subscriber list to be able to to speak to people in a more kind of longer form way as well just we each write a monthly newsletter so people hear from us once a fortnight one of us and we're taking it in turn so it's and that's more kind of like what we've been reading lately what we're listening to what we're watching anything about field fair that might you know sort of behind the scenes stuff so we, we quite like to grow that aspect of of how we reach people because I think it's all very well having Instagram there but it could disappear tomorrow and if it did it would still be nice to be able to get in touch with people. I just feel like a newsletter is so, so much of a different connection it's, it allows more community to fully develop I think yeah absolutely and where Instagram is at now. I find that I engage a lot less with content on Instagram and I'm not sure if that's just because I'm kind of a bit sick of it or mm. I'm not that into video and that's what's being pushed into my feed a lot I don't know maybe I just spend less time doing it it's nice to be able to think we can build that deeper connection through other means if, if we can. So um, obviously we have the website and then and then the print product. So so how do people find you on Instagram? And if they're interested in signing up to your newsletter, what's the best way to do that? So you can sign up on our website, which is fieldfairpress.com. The Instagram account is at fieldfairpress, all one word. Mendy's Instagram account is angrybaker. And you'll have to ask her about the reason why she's called Angry Baker. <laughs> there is a, a long historical reason, I think, to do with kind of bulletin boards or something. And uh, I'm at Sky O'Neill, all one word. So, yeah, that's, that's the best way to find us. 
Well, Sky, thank you so much. It's been awesome to chat with you. I'm obsessed with yeah. publications, um, especially <laughs> indie ones, because I think that so many, especially in Australia too, have popped up over the last little while. Do you have yeah. any, any recommendations for little UK ones that have popped up in recent times? There's a foodie, indie foodie mag here called Table, who Mendy and I know a couple of the people who work on that. I think that's a really great quality sort of production. And I mean, I, lo- I love Galar in Australia. I've subscribed for my mother, who's <laughs> based in Australia. So she gets that whenever it's published. And I think that's such a fantastic magazine, such an amazing, you know, launch and such a success story and great quality. So I consider you guys in the same ilk. Oh, well, that's a great compliment. Because <laughs> <So, laughs> I feel I feel like we don't necessarily have the uh, the experience that Annabelle Hickson has. But yeah, she's definitely very inspirational in terms of what she's achieved with Galar. Yeah, she's wonderful. They're both wonderful. Mm. I know them quite well, the Galar team, and I also work for Grazy Her, which is another well-established mm. regional magazine in Australia. Mm. But there's so many popping up, and it's just mm. it's just so interesting for me, uh, someone who's been in the media for you know a couple of decades. I I, I love it. So, what do you do? You yeah. like to read in the UK? Well, I usually read the Guardian newspaper. <laughs> or the Sunday Times, if for the supplements, because I love them. Yes. (laughs) I mean, I I love World of Interiors here, for example. I love that they don't put anything except, you know, one phrase on the the front cover, you know, so you don't really know what's in it. But I just think that their photos and things are are fantastic. Gosh, everything's I ask because completely selfishly, I have just found some of our interiors, homes and sort of interiors magazines in Australia to become a little bit sterile. And I love, Mm. I live in an old house, as you can see behind me, the style of that I can get from UK mags is right, is really in tune with that. And I just, it's, Mm. there's so Mm. much more color and boldness Mm -hmm. and level Mm. of kind of maturity, I think about it. Like I love homes Mm. and gardens and uh, so much. Yeah. yeah. Every time I go to the news agency, I just um, yeah, these yeah. ones come in. And <laughs> I'm a sucker for 25 beautiful homes in Britain as well. I just, I, I like seeing, I, I kind of like that peek into kind of people's actual homes. I mean, obviously they're styled for the images, but I like to hear about, you know, people's renovation journeys and how they've, you know, why they've decorated it the way they have. But I, I think, yeah, there's a lot, there is, does seem to be a lot more colour and things used here um, compared to what I see at home in Australia. You can find these guys at Field Fair, F-A-R-E, Press on Instagram or online via the same name. Shipping costs, as you probably know, are a little bit prohibitive at the moment. So getting this publication to Australia is a bit hard. But let me tell you that I most certainly did have issue one in my hot little hands. So it can be done. Sign up to our newsletter, Company on Sunday, for more behind-the-scenes action with Sky and for just general goodness each Sunday morning. Mansonpodcasting.com I'll be back with you next Thursday morning for our final episode in this series of Company when we speak with a gorgeous girl living the dream in Esperance, Western Australia.